Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Hello, everyone. This is Ryan Tripp. I'm here for the New Books Network, the History Channel. Today, I'm going to be talking to Professor Ricardo Cubas Romcholi. He's from the Universidad de los Andes in Chile. He's Associate Professor of Latin American History. Last year, he published The Politics of Religion and the Rise of Social Catholicism in Peru, 1884 to 1935, Faith, Workers, and Race Before Liberation Theology, published by Brill, again last year. Welcome to the show, Professor. Thank you very much, Ryan. I'm pleased to be here to talk about my book. So uh, before we dive into the prompts, let's discuss the uh, cover selection of your book. Can you discuss a little bit the photograph that uh, was selected as the cover of the book? Yes, well, this is is a photograph of one very famous indigenous um, photographer Martin Chambi, a uh, Peruvian, who this is a photo of 1939, which in Ayaviri in Puno, in the frontier in uh, between Peru and, and Bolivia, very close to the frontier, and it's called the Cere- La Ceremonia de los Sirios, which is uh, this big can- uh, Sirios, I don't know how to translate it into English, but uh, Sirios are these big candles that you show here, and I think. This photograph expresses uh, many things of my book, you know, the um, presence of the church among the, the popular classes, you know, um, in a very in an Indian uh, region, you know, in, a, in, a, in a region where there is a, a lot of uh, native Peruvian presence. What prompted you to study the rise of social Catholicism in Peru during the late 19th and early 20th centuries? My interest was to explore the role of religion in general in the shaping of the contemporary public sphere, um, also in the shaping of the, uh, the civic culture, contemporary civic culture, and the challenges that religion had to face in the interaction with the economic, cultural, and political processes of the modernization processes in, in the world, and how these processes affected religion itself. Uh, and I think this aspect was mostly neglected in Peruvian and Latin American historiography, which has been concentrated in other topics. In the specific case of my manuscript, I aimed to um, address an historical debate on the role of the Catholic Church in the social, cultural, and political life of modern Peru, set in the larger context of a process of Catholic renewal which took place in Europe and other regions of the Americas. And also, uh, another reason that prompted me to uh, deal with this topic was that since the 1960s, the study of this aspect became heavily influenced by many sociological and post-colonial trends that characterized Catholicism as a powerful obstacle to 
modernization, social change, and democratization. Or, in other words, it was characterized as an ideology of order, a traditional ally of oligarchy. And from this point of view, or from this viewpoint, it was only after the Second Vatican Council and with the rise, uh, the rise of liberation theology at the end of the 1960s that the Catholic Church began to have a serious commitment towards the social problems of the country and in the formation of a democratic civic culture. I thought, uh, having this panorama, I thought that it was necessary to offer a more complex picture about the roles that Catholicism played in Peruvian political sphere before liberation theology. Uh, in other words, uh, what role the church play in during the late 19th and early 20th centuries. Um, of course, despite um, the hierarchical structure of the church, uh, we, don't, we do not have to understand Catholicism as a monolithic force. No, there were many groups of interests, intellectual tendencies, organizations, and political leanings. However, I think it is possible to see also during this time a general common trend. So I wanted to understand these trends in Catholicism. By way of introduction, please describe how and why the Spanish crown undermined the ecclesiastical pillar of the realm through its regalistic policies and the diffusion of Enlightenment ideas. Well, first I have to explain that uh, regalism is almost a synonym of Gallicanism, which in simple terms is the assertion of the state's power over the church and the defense of the autonomy of national churches with respect to Rome. An opposite trend, which I'm going to explain later, is ultramontanism, which defended the authority of the Pope over local churches, and while supporting the continuation of church-state union, they also advocated ecclesiastical independence from political intervention and internal church affairs. Uh, well, going to the core of your question, this problem uh, happened in the 18th century under the paradigm of enlightened, uh, enlightened absolutism or enlightened uh, uh, despotism. The Bourbon kings who came to power in Spain in the 1700s pretended to expand the power of the state over other corporations of society and the most powerful of them was the church. They did not aim to eradicate Catholicism, but to reform the church under their own ideas and to control ecclesiastical structures in a more inclusive way than the afterwards, their predecessors. They changed the nature of the patronato. The patronato was uh, the authority, authority given by the Pope to the Spanish kings to intervene in many aspects of ecclesiastical discipline and organization by stating that this was not a concession of the Pope, but an here inherent right of the secular power given directly by God to the crowd. Well, the, Bourbons, the most important blow of the Bourbons against the church, uh, against church autonomy, was the expulsion of the Jesuits from the Spanish domains in 1767. But there were many other measures, such as confiscation of lands, uh, many blows against the autonomy of the religious orders. 
this led this created a resentment among many members of the clergy. It's not a coincidence, for example, that in the case of Mexico, the first leaders who proclaimed independence were priests, such as Miguel Hidalgo Costilla and then Morelos. No, the same happened. The same in lesser extent happened in in Peru, where the first many of the first members of the first Congress in Peru were uh, members of the clergy. clergy. Can you please explain the politics of anti-clerical liberalism and patronato, the uh, genistic uh, Freemason regalism, as well as ultramontan Catholicism during the early Republic and post-1845 Guano periods? Well, perhaps the most important conflict during the early phase of the Peruvian Republic was, uh, with respect to church-state relations, was between liberals who supported a realistic um, position towards the church, which is, which means that they wanted to exercise the patronato over the church, in other words, to intervene in many uh, aspects of church discipline. And the other side was represented by ultramontane Catholicism, ultramontane Catholicism, that looked for uh, the assertion of Pope authority over local churches and wanted, despite that they wanted to, win, to preserve church-state union, they also wanted politics out of uh, the control of the internal affairs of the church. Um, during this period, I think uh, they, there was a renovation inside inside Peruvian church, led by one very prominent uh, priest. His name was Bartolomé Herrera, who managed to create a very important educational reform that it, that was instrumental to form a Catholic elite. Uh, uh, to for the formation of a new Catholic hierarchy, and they were important for the renovation of the church in ultramontane terms, following the the guidelines of Pope Pius the Ninth. From eighteen ninety five to nineteen nineteen. How and why did religious institutes in the church become independent from the civil power and its internal organization and in the control of programs of study in the seminaries? One very different aspect of the church in Peru with respect with Mexico was that the political relations between church and state were more uh, less conflicted. Um, the church was able to call the, for the assistance of many new religious institutes, especially new congregations, male and female, and they managed to create a very important network of Catholic schools, and also one important aspect in the cultural renovation of the church at that time was the creation of the Catholic University in 1917. I think this cultural presence was instrumental to create a more independent church 
from civil power because they have a priests and lay people had a better formation. With this better formation, they were able to create new organizations, lobbies, and also they could enter again in the intellectual debate over many social issues and also on many political problems, on the political problems of the country. They also managed to establish some alliance, alliances with some of the key politicians in, in Peru, especially within the civil party and the democratic party. What were the consequences of church economic dependency on the Peruvian state and its gradual independence, as well as the ensuing debates over civil marriage and divorce, as well as the law of religious tolerance? Also, what were the goals of the Sociedades de Beneficia? Well, during the, this time, which is between 1995 to 1919, which many historians call the spirit of the Republica Aristocratica or Aristocratic Republic, the church, uh, there was a process of secularization of many state entities. Uh, and the church had to, um, to face, uh, the church had to face the, this fact, you know, that, that many aspects of social life were not going to be controlled anymore by church legislation. For example, and one important uh, millstone for that was the civil marriage, the, the proclamation of civil marriage, uh, and also the law of religious tolerance. Before this law, which was enacted in 1914, Protestant or other religions or, or other religious groups or other groups uh, had to could exercise their they could practice their religion in a private way. They could not um, have public churches. But, um, this led to this great... Uh, sorry, can we repeat this question? Please briefly trace Augusto uh, Laguia's Onciano and his support for the church, particularly by addressing debates over the Patronato Republicano, civil marriage, archbishop ties, and the 1921 Catholic social action. Well, the time of Augusto Beleguia Onciano is very interesting for church history. Now, Leguia was a civil president who imposed a kind of authoritarian regime from 1919 to 1930. And he attacked one of the, uh, was very critical of the former main political party, which was the civil party, which was an oligarchic party. No, and Leguia is like a proto-populist president. No, he addressed the middle classes and the working classes and the Indian people and the Indian population. And uh, he sought to establish a kind of alliance with the church in order to uh, have uh, an impact on many of these uh, populations. He didn't have to have a strong fight with uh, the church over some 
secular reforms because many of the reforms that the church opposed were all already done in the previous period. So the, for example, the law of civil marriage, the law of, of religious tolerance was were enacted during the previous period, no? during Jose, the presidency of Jose Pardo. So at this time, the church played a, an important role in supporting many of the social works of Leguía. For example, the Patronato de la Raza Indígena. The Patronato de la Raza Indígena was a state institution which uh, its objective was to um, deal with the problems of the Indian peasant communities in rural, in rural Peru. And he, in church, he gave the authority, the direction of this institution to many of the, to many prominent bishops who uh, canalized many of the denounces of the Indians towards uh, many landowners against many landowners and they relied on the church in order to give bishops and many priests the initiative to propose laws to protect the Indians. In this way, um, Leguía uh, was very important for this social change of, of to use the church as a to canalize some of his social policies. Uh, one of the problems with this alliance was the closeness between the Archbishop of Lima, Emilio Lison, and Augusto de Leguía. Uh, Lison endorsed many of the authoritarian measures of Leguía, and this generated social unrest, especially in 1923, when there was a protest against the against Leguía, and well, Archbishop, this Archbishop was quite um, active in supporting the president. Some years afterwards, um, when Leguía fell in 1930, in 1930, because of a revolution, the Emilio Lison had to submit his resignation to his post, and he had to live in exile first in Rome and then in Spain. During the early 1930s, why was the rise of radical parties in the Peruvian political arena, such as the uh, Peruvian Aprista Party, a cause for concern among many Catholic leaders of the epoch? If possible, in your response to that question, please address the anti-clerical dimensions of the uh, 1931 to 32 constitutional debates, the repercussions of the 1932 uh, emergency law, the uh, Aprista repression, and the Sanchez assassination, if you can. Well, the early 1930s were a very intense and problematic phase in Peruvian history. After the fall of Leguía's regime, there emerged, many, I would say, the first mass parties, the parties of very popular parties who held, that held some radical programs. There was the Marxist uh, uh, movement. Uh, the most important of these was the Communist Party. And also, the, perhaps the most influential was the Aprista Party, which was, uh, at that time, it was quite radical, quite close to socialism. 
ang narcissistic birthday but the, its leader Victor Raul Ayala Torre wanted to create its own, his own ideology and his own proposal for um, Peru Peru and for Latin America he pretended to create a Latin American party uh, a third radical party was the Union Revolucionaria which was a pro-fascist party a pro-fascist party the three of them had uh, in some measure either anti-clerical or regalistic tendencies and the APRA party uh, was very critical of the of the church and its structure around the country uh, um, even in one moment Victor uh, Raul de Ayala Torre proposed to create a national church uh, and he was very uh, he was an admirer of the Mexican Revolution well uh, how how this was taken by the Peruvian church well they were afraid that many of the um, facts that were or the processes that were happening in other parts of the world would be replicated in the Peruvian scene. For example, they were they always referred to the case of um, Spain, uh, um, the church persecution in the, in the Republican Spain, or the problems that the church had to face in, in during the Mexican Revolution, especially during the Calles, Calles regime. They also were very afraid of, of a replication of the Russian Revolution in Peru. So they uh, tried to influence in many ways many of the to many of the Peruvian politicians, especially the more moderate, in order to, in, especially during the constitutional debate between 1931 and 1932 in order to create a more moderate constitution. A key person in this negotiation, I think, was Victor Andres Belaunde, who was a very important politician and intellectual at that time, who was a a, a very important uh, lawmaker as well, uh, law professor as well, who managed to create some channels of negotiation with different groups. Uh, also, uh, the main leader of that time, which was President Sanchez Cerro, decided, uh, well, on one hand, he was a Catholic himself, but uh, he didn't want to pressure the church in order to face his uh, most important enemy, which was the Aprista Party, no, and he decided to focus on, on the Aprista Party and repress it with the emergency law that banned ban the legality of the Aprista Party and also the, the Communist Party. There began a repression against this, the militant of this, the militants of this, of both parties, especially the Aprista and. There, was, uh, there were two attempts to assassinate uh, Sanchez Cerro. The last one was successful in 1932, uh, 1933, 
um, this led to a general condemnation to the of the Aprista party, both by the church and by other political actors. How and why was the platform of the short-lived Catholic Union Popular connected to the encyclical 1891 Rerum Novarum and the social code Malen? Well, the Union Popular was a moderate uh, democratic Catholic party uh, in this very difficult uh, time of 1930, between 1931 and 1932. And they were quite critical of many of the problems brought by capitalism in Peru, but also they were critical of the communist and socialist proposals. No, so they what they pretended was to apply the social doctrine of the church, which was mostly expressed in Dio 13 encyclical Reverend Novarum in 1991 and the social code of Malines. So what they supported what did they support? No, what did they support? Well, um, the legality of trade unions, the right to, to of um, just salary, the legitimacy of strikes, but also they defended private property. And they, as con- uh, some of the few of them who became congressmen, they proposed a series of uh, labor uh, reforms in Peruvian legislation. You know, in, I think uh, they uh, pretended to, to be a political expression of social Catholicism in politics. Please briefly discuss changes in church-state relations under the pontificates of Leo XIII and uh, Pius X, addressing the arrival of religious institutes, church centralization, uh, the Latin American or Peruvian Catholic congresses and councils, as well as the social Catholicism ideas of the uh, Francisca Mariano Halguin, Pedro uh, Pablo Gino y uh, Piola, and Pedro Pascual Farfán de los Godos. Any one or all? Okay, uh, this was a time of uh, between Leo XIII and Pius X. Was a time of uh, Catholic renewal, a religious renewal in uh, renewal in the Christian world, and this was expressed also in uh, Peru. This was a time that, despite the advance of the secularization process in many European states. Um, the, and the loss of the papal, papal states during the uh, pontificate of Pius IX, there was a time of renewal. How was this renewal expressed? Well, in the new, the, the foundation of new, uh, new religious congregations, both male and female, in the stronger presence of the lady in the life of the church, both female and male associations, the, the development of social Catholicism, many Catholic entrepreneurs, many Catholic workers, 
and legislators were very active in the way they address the most difficult consequences of the expansion of industrial capitalism in the world. So, uh, and also, uh, the, this was a time where uh, bishops were uh, worked together more in, in uh, episcopal assemb assemblies, which were meetings between the, the bishops of each county in order to create a common common points of view or common viewpoints on several social or political issues. So it's a time of renewal. So this renewal was also expressed in, in was present in Peru. Peruvian church was benefited by the arrival of many Catholic congregations, for example, the Marist brothers, the Marianist brothers, the Salesians, the um, uh, Sacred Hearts, Los Sagrados Corazones, and other um, uh, the Sisters of Charity and the Daughters of Charity as well. Um, and this, and also the, uh, during this time there was um, there, there there's a, there was a, the appearance of one very brilliant generation of bishops, of very important and influential bishops in Peru. Some of them were, for example, uh, the Franciscan Mariano Olguin, who was bishop of Arequipa, and who was the creator of the first circle of Catholic workers. He was a, uh, um, a bishop very committed to the social question in Arequipa and in other parts of, of Peru. Another very important and very influential bishop was, uh, was Pedro Farfán de los who was bishop of Cusco, and afterwards he became archbishop of Lima. We can say that he uh, had a very important work towards the native peoples. He encouraged the Study, the studies in, of Quechua. He also developed a very, he, he played a very prominent role in the Patronato de la Raza Indígena, this state association created by Leguía in 1921. And also another very important figure was Pedro Pablo de Grimati Pierola. He was uh, an auxiliary bishop of Lima. And he was more like an uh, intellectual who developed many manuals for ca Catholics in order to uh, inspire it in Rerum Novarum Encyclica. These manuals of social action for Catholics were spread along in, in Lima and other cities in the country. Along similar lines, please briefly explore the efforts of Catholic lay associations in late 19th and early 20th century Peru, as well as the Union Católica's embrace of the Rerum Novarum encyclical. If possible, in your response, uh, you please also briefly address, if you can, associations for the advancement of women and children, um, and, and include those uh, female suffrage debates, as well as student groups. Oh. 
one important aspect of this Catholic renewal in Peru was the role of the lady, lady perhaps the most important association of the lady in Peru was the Union Católica. The Union Católica was an association of many, both male and female people. Many of the directive members of this association were part of the elite, the local elite, but they were they managed to also attract people from other classes, from the middle sectors and um, from the popular sectors as well. Um, they began to make many actions, I would say two main kind of actions. One, the pastoral, uh, the, the pastoral missions with, were related to catechism, to the spread of faith among many, uh, the, the church formation, uh, religious formation of people around the country. And the, uh, in in this in the same vein in the same way they acted as a association to collect money to in order to finance the Catholic missions in the Peruvian Amazon region in the jungle. No, and they were especially female the female members of the Catholic Union were important economic supporters of these missions. In Iquito, in the in the department of Lorito, which is in the Amazon region in Peru, and the other uh, very important activity of the Unión Católica was of the in press. In the press, they supported some important uh, newspapers. One very important was El Bien Social, which was. Uh, relevant in Lima during the first three decades of the 20th century. And the, the branch of the Union Católica in Arequipa was um, also very active in press. Now they supported El Deber, which was the most important newspaper in southern, in southern Peru. So they were very active in fact. So apart from the pastoral the, their pastoral mission, they were also committed to social activities. Uh, well, for social activities, I mean uh, social work with uh, workers, with uh, native Peruvians as well. Now, um, in this sense, they followed the message of uh, Reverend Novarum Encyclical at that time. Uh, with respect with women, they we have to take in account that in many cases women were, were female members were the main uh, participants in these institutions. They were the more active. They were uh, those who, who played an essential role in, the, in collecting the funds in order to finance many church activities, both in schools, in missions, in or asylums, you no, know, and many charity charity works. And um, I think uh, this is a time you know, of, of of great activity uh, for women.
also we have to stress um, not only um, the role of the female lady, but also of the female religious congregations. Uh, the difference between this time, um, the colonial times, uh, was that now women were members of all, uh, uh, institutes that were dedicated to the active life. Uh, before, most of female religious were content, uh, belonged to contemplative orders. So they were committed to praying and doing manual, manual work inside monasteries. Whereas in the, during this time, they were dedicated to three main tasks, which were education of women and children, health, and uh, missions. Missions also were very important. With respect to female suffrage uh, right to vote, I think one of the most important defenders of uh, the right of women to vote in general elections, in presidential elections, was Victor Andrés de la Onde, this Catholic intellectual. He was uh, very prominent in in the debate on during the constitution during the debate of the constitution of 1931, the debates in, in between 1931 and 1933. Uh, he could not succeed in this measure because radical groups in the Congress were afraid that female uh, population will vote for Catholic parties. No? So they prefer not to support this pro proposal of Belaude. What circumstances facilitated the rebirth of Catholic education in Peru and the founding of multifarious schools with curriculum connected to social Catholicism, such as the Via Maria Academy in Miraflores, sponsored by the U.S. Sisters of the Immaculate Heart of Mary, which you referred to earlier, especially when my grandmother went to school? In your response, please also discuss the please also discuss the dissemination of a social confessional uh, print culture. Well, as I said, uh, part of this uh, Catholic revival in Peru was possible because of the arrival of many religious congregations, many of them from France, some from the United States, from Spain, from Italy. And a main tax, a main duty for them was to create this very big Catholic network of schools. Um, also, it was possible because uh, politicians were not, uh, did, did not uh, oppose to these measures, in part because of the state, uh, the, the state could not fulfill, uh, uh, it wasn't possible for the state to um, create schools in, in many parts of the country. So the church was seen as an aid for, of the, for the state actions in, in this topic, no, in education. So we see the very influential presence of Jesuits, of Marists, of um, 
the Holy Cross, you know, of uh, Sacred Hearts in all around the, the country, both for male and female uh, students. And also, as I said uh, before, a millstone in Catholic education in Peru was the creation of the foundation of the Catholic University in 1917 by a Belgian religious father, you know, what Jorge de Pilac, a Belgian priest. Possible. Well, this also created a, a good environment for the diffusion, of the spread of a Catholic press in many parts of the of the country. Perhaps the most important Catholic newspaper was in Arequipa. I think Arequipa was one of one important center of Catholicism in Peru. This newspaper was El Deber. But also we saw the multiplication of many other uh, newspapers and journals. Uh, for example, El Bien Social, for example, La Colmena, which was the newspaper of the Circle of Catholic, Catholic Workers in Arequipa. And among the academic uh, journals, I think one very important and influential was El Mercurio Peruano, which was founded again by Victor Andrés de la Onda, this very active intellectual, which belonged for many years to the Catholic University of, of Peru. This was a very important um, in place for discussion, not all, just with Catholics, but also with non-Catholics, but in a very respectful way. What circumstances gave birth to labor movements and the educational as well as housing aims of circles of Catholic workers in Peru from approximately 1895 to 1935? In your response, if you can, please briefly discuss ideas on the reconciliation of capital and labor via nonviolent protests by Victor Andres uh, Baronde, who you already mentioned, uh, Mariano Garcia, and the Franciscan Francisco Cabré. And if possible, please also elucidate those statues to the four-section CCW of Arequipa, drafted by the Franciscan Mariano Halgun. Well, uh, Peru, uh, from after the War of the Pacific, the War of the Pacific was a war between Peru and, and Chile that ended in 1984. Uh, Peru... Afterwards, during the late 19th century and early 20th century, Peru began a process of social and economic modernization. And this modernization brought some, well, the, the, um, the formation of a working class in some of the biggest, biggest cities, such as Lima, Arequipa, Cusco, Trujillo. And these movements many times were influenced by radical ideologies such as anarchists, Marxist, socialists, and then aprismo. Uh, the church also wanted to have some influence among these popular classes uh, in order to not to lose its influence on society and also but also the uh, many 
Catholic Social Thinkers have a critical view on the work conditions of the many of the problems that this working class have. So they wanted to apply in a meaningful way this doctrine, you know, to put in practice this doctrine. Um, the first one, I think, who did a very significant, uh, the, the first who took an uh, important uh, step to do that was um, Bishop Maria Valdini before he was bishop in, when he was a Franciscan friar in Arequipa in 1997, he founded the Circle of Catholic Workers there in that city. And this model of Circle of Catholic Workers was later replicated in other cities, in Lima, in Cusco. I think the, this Circle of Cusco still exists until today, in Trujillo and in other regions. They were not as strong as communist or aprista trade unions, but at least they wanted to create a Catholic working culture. And they replicated many of the activities of these other secular trade unions. For example, they created night schools, schools for the children of the workers, the symbols, anthems, flags, libraries, conferences, and also they helped them to be, well, they created also these newspapers for this working movement and developed some mutual aid societies. Among them, they developed mutual aid societies. And one interesting initiative was the creation of some housing projects as it was the housing project in Arequipa, Leo the 13th. No, they wanted to create houses for workers. No, one of the, the ideas is that to make the worker to become a proprietor, to have, to have a private um, property, to have private properties, no, and to help him with uh, some of the problems they have with uh, their bosses, no, with uh, the owner, the with entrepreneurs. But in contrast with socialists, they emphasize not a class um, struggle, but they want to create ways to um, of non-violent protests and a kind of reconciliation between capital and labor. Um, most of the priests who were involved in these circles of Catholic workers advanced this idea no? uh, to try to create a reconciliation between uh, labor and capital. But uh, in extreme case, they supported um, strikes, um, also uh, with Victor Andrés de la Bunde and other, um, other congressmen to uh, develop a social and labor legislation in the Congress. 
What were Catholic conceptions of the, quoting you, mestiza cultural synthesis? And how and why did social Catholicism sustain assumptions about indigenous psychology, yet yet also the same ideas denounced indigenous exploitation and promoted native culture and languages along the Amazon and elsewhere? In your response, if possible, please further discuss ideas promulgated by previously mentioned authors and delegates to Catholic councils and congresses, particularly ideas advanced by um, Isaias Vargas. Well, the um, contradictions in some of the um, sayings of many priests, well, we can, we can explain this because the church was not a monolithic uh, structure. No, but there, there were many positions inside the church. Now, what I try to show in my book is that there was a trend inside the Catholicism in that time that I call Catholic indigenism no, that represents many priests and bishops that wanted to defend Indian rights from exploitation uh, for many kinds of exploitation in in the country at that time, um, they but they were opposed to two main intellectual currents at, at that time. One was uh, the social Darwinism of many positivist thinkers that believed that the country uh, was uh, sick because racial mixination um, that they wanted uh, to create uh, to uh, promote the integration of uh, uh, they, what they say were superior races no? uh, basically to whiten to create a white population a more white population in, in the country the, well, the, the church opposed mm-hmm. most of, uh, I would say most of the Catholic leaders were quite, uh, radically opposed to this conception, and the other extreme was a radical indigenous that wanted to ban most of Western influence in Peru and create uh, well uh, some use uh, the Indian Indian cause in order to promote revolution, well, a, a radical revolution. Well, the position of many of these Catholic intellectuals, Isaiah Vargas, and many others, was that Peru is a cultural synthesis, a mestizo synthesis. Uh, uh, Peru is composed by many different traditions that uh, that Peru had to learn to live and to um, appreciate the, each component of Peruvian society, uh, the Indian legacy, the African legacy, the Asian legacy, because there came many Chinese and um, Japanese immigrants during the, uh, during the 19th century, and the 19th century, and also the Spanish legacy. No, the, the, and also other European uh, traditions that came to Peru during the 19th century. So they wanted to, to create this consciousness. No? But also to 
um, understand um, and to validate this, the the Indians in in the Indian culture uh, in many in many ways. For example, Isaias Vargas and many priests who were or Indian or mestizos uh, were very active in promoting Quechua. Uh, La Academia de la Lengua Quechua, for example, in Cusco, was very important, and many of the members of this academy were priests. Uh, another feature was, the, as I said before, the participation of the church in the Patronato de la Raza Indígena, which was not really well studied before. Uh, um, the concerns, uh, their actions, in, in order to protect Indians from um, the problems of land, of their lands that were, um, let's say, they were taken, uh, their lands were taken uh, by many land owners during or by some mining companies during this time, especially during this time uh, that was a period of economic expansion in southern and um, central Peru. And all other very important action towards the situation, the human rights of native people were those in the... Uh, this fight was uh, uh, done by Catholic missionaries in the Amazon jungle during that time. Uh, the Amazon region was explored by many rubber, rubber companies uh, that exported rubber, no, but they, in many cases, they explored and killed many ethnic tribes. No, and some of the first uh, people who denounced this uh, big problem in the jungle were missionaries, no? uh, redentoristas, redentorists, San Franciscans, Dominicans in those regions. And, uh, and this uh, aspect has been, I think, the only experience who has studied in profundity this aspect is Pilar Garcia Jordan, uh, a Spanish historian. Um, well, I have uh, one more question for you. What can we expect from you next? Are you working on another project? Are you taking a vacation? What's going? What's what's up for you next? Well, uh, at this moment, I'm working in two projects. One is uh, deepening the my studies on the role of the church in the Patronato de la Raza Indígena during the Guia government, and I'm also working in another very different um, topic. No, well, it's related to big data. Uh, a little different is about uh, the history of Catholic, uh, the, uh, of the Catholic universities in Peru and Chile. You know, the creation of both uh, entities, um, the mutual cooperation between the Catholic University of Peru and Chile. Well, we hope you remember the New Books Network for those projects in the future. Thank you for being on the show today, uh, Professor. Many thanks. Many thanks. It was a, my pleasure to be here. 
So the book is uh, The Politics of Religion and the Rise of Social Catholicism in Peru, 1884 to 1935, Faith, Workers, and Race Before Liberation Theology. Albright Brill last year uh, on behalf of Professor uh, Ramachiadi and uh, the New Books Network, the History Channel. This is Ryan Tripp. Please tune in next time.